the Baltimore Ravens had won 24 preseason games in a row. 24 preseason games in a row, and they lost one like on a last-second field goal or something like that. For so, okay, home field advantage, right? What's home field advantage? Playing in your own territory. Playing in your own territory. Playing in that Jerry World right there, right? Just having all your fans staying at home, not traveling. What do we think is? What's the percentage of like? home field advantage, what would you say like the percent, the winning percentage is for the home team? 60? 70? 50-50? Depends on the team. Robin says there is no home field advantage. You're actually at a disadvantage <laughs> on the home field. It's even 50-50? It's worth like two and a half points in Vegas. So we're two and a half, but now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. We're talking about spread, you know. Okay, so I did not go, like, full stat dork on this. I kind of lost interest after a few minutes. But here's a – here. I, who said 50? Where's my 50-50? Brian? This is – so NFL is about 55%, right? So really – and again, it's, it's worth a couple points in Vegas, right? So Vegas basically says, like, it doesn't – the NBA uh, – this was a little bit more of a stat that I found um, – wins about 62% of the time. Um, and I, they, this was from NBA.com. Record for best league-wide home winning percentage was set in 50-51, 70, almost 75% of the time. Uh, and then they said this is about the eighth consecutive season when the home winning percentage is under 60%, right? So, you know. And then MLB is like 55%, right? So it's, it's really, there is... You know, that kind of home field advantage, so to speak, for the most part, doesn't exist. It's a little bit of a myth, right? I bring up home field advantage because, and this is where the metaphor breaks down a little bit, um, Jesus encounters the problem of home field advantage when he goes home to Nazareth, right? And he's going to go um, teach in the synagogue, and you would think that going home... All the people would love you, they'd respect you, they'd cheer you on. But he does not find a home field advantage as he's going into Nazareth. So, let's read this story. And this story is going to be divided into two sections. Jesus is going to go to his hometown, um, and he's going to teach in the synagogue. And then he's going to send his disciples out for ministry. We're going to look at both of those um, narratives this morning. So, we'll read Mark chapter... 6 verses 1 through 12 on page 703. We'll read it in the round. I want you to start it. said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. 
He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over unclean spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money, in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay, so we got the little home and away, right? Jesus goes home. Uh, is with his disciples, and then he goes uh, away. He goes from village to village. He sends his disciples out to do ministry. Um, one thing before we get into, again, I kind of want to look at the home passage and the away passage, so to speak. Um, one thing that I wanted to kind of talk about, though, before we, we do that, is I wanted to connect this teaching with last week's teaching. I think this is really important. So last week, part of the point that we were talking about last week, how when the woman goes and grabs the corner of, of Jesus' garment, right, we talked about how this kind of linked in to the prophet Malachi when he says that the son of righteousness will rise with healings in his wings, which connected back into numbers um, and how they are to make these little corners, these um, tassels on, um, on their garments as ways to remember God's faithfulness, right? And so when she goes and grabs that tassel, right, and she finds healing there, Right? That's what heals her. It's not, again, this isn't some sort of pre-version of TBN where you touch the TV and you send in the money and you're healed. This is a specific reference to a claim of messiahship, right? A subtle claim of messiahship that Mark's kind of making for us, right? So there is this subtle claim with the woman grabbing Jesus' cloak, his tassels, his corners, being healed as the son of righteousness rises with healings in his wings, in his corners, right? And then this week, right, um, this week, the corresponding passage that happens in this, right, Jesus goes to his hometown, accompanies by his disciples on the Sabbath comes, he begins to preach in the synagogue. If you were to go into the book of Luke, right, and the way that Luke kind of frames this out, right, this same passage, he goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath, he goes to his synagogue, as was his custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the, years, the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down, the eyes of everyone on the synagogue, and it's great, everyone on the synagogue are fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, right? Again, everybody's amazed at him. They're amazed at his gracious words coming from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask, right? So this Isaiah 61, again, we talked last week about this prophecy in Malachi, the prophet Malachi speaking about the Messiah, Isaiah 61, 
as the prophet Isaiah speaks about the Messiah, it's that the Messiah is going to have a ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. And he's going to be the one that meets all human needs, right? And then he says again, in this Luke inversion, he says like, today it's fulfilled in your hearing, right? One of the things that I want to do as we kind of teach through this book of Mark is I want us to kind of connect and observe how Jesus is revealing his identity and showing who he is, be, who, who he is to the world. And he's I, inviting people into that identity through faith, right? I don't want these to be just random one-off teachings, like, okay, what's Eric going to teach one-off this week with no thread or development? We are watching before our eyes, right? Just like with last week with this woman grabbing this little corner, you have this hint of messiahship. This week, as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, right? Now you have a further development of his Messiah. Again, part of what we are doing isn't just, I'm not here just to teach you morality. I'm not just here to give you application, life lessons. I understand that that's important as I preach a sermon. Part of what I want to do is show you the person, Jesus, as he is revealing himself in the scripture, right? And for us really just to turn our eyes to him, right? If you walked away this morning and you walked away with a, like a, like a captivated gaze on Jesus, right? Versus like, oh, hey, Eric said, like, here's this application point. A thousand million times over, I'd rather have you walk away from any Sunday morning with a captivated hard you guys it's just part of this is part of my job as a pastor just to take a quick break when it's time <laughs> commercial break commercial break over is that all the kids it, it, part of my job if you could walk away like oh my gosh jesus is so wonderful he's so brilliant the way that he develops himself the way that he goes about god you're you're wonderful jesus you're wonderful rather than like oh i gotta i gotta be nicer to my kids do you know what i'm saying Look at Jesus, right? Look, look at Jesus. Watch how he is inviting others to his identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Anointed One. Watch as he's developing that uh, for people through faith, okay? Is that it? That's, um, I think I put that even on the slide, right? It's not just personal morality, life lessons, application, watching and observing Jesus, revealing his identity to the world, inviting others to that faith. Got it? That's the big point number one that I wanted to say here. Let's go to the home. Jesus is at home, right? And we get this home passage, and it's bracketed by these words amazed, right? Bracketed by these words amazed. You have people that are amazed at Jesus' teaching, right? Wow, this teaching is so amazing. And then the passage ends where Jesus is like, I'm amazed at your lack of faith. And it's interesting because oftentimes we assume, and I assume this as well too, this is maybe why this could even be a downfall of like some kind of, even for our church, um, like teaching-centered churches, right? So many of churches nowadays are just sermon central, right? Because we can at least observe in this passage, just because you're listening about Jesus doesn't end up with amazing faith, right? And a lot of times, I even said it like this, right? People do like to listen to Jesus, or they like to listen about Jesus, 
without any substance attached to it, right? Without any substance attached to it. Now, when I say substance, I don't want you to kind of get this idea of like, oh yeah, you know, those, those kind of, those soft rock pastors, you know, they're kind of out there just, you know, preaching easy sermons or, you know, those churches out there that just like, it's church light, it's not the real meat of the world. That's not what I'm talking about when I say without any substance, right? What is the substance that I'm talking about here, right? Because again, people are amazed. Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Somewhere in the middle here, they're missing the substance, right? They're missing some substance about, about Jesus. And here's the substance, right? Here's, here's really what, I guess, in, in, you know, we got, um, we got a bucket full, a bucket, is that what it is? A bucket full of like Thomas the Train um, toys for my son. That's the cups I hand me down, like full tracks, trains, the whole thing. Like it's full on. I've had train analogies on my mind all week long. Commercial opportunity number two. James heard the trains and he's like, Dad, are you talking about those trains? Come on, let me get out there. Where are those trains at? So the substance, the end of the line, right? The final destination, the stop where, where everybody's got to get off, right? Here's, here's the substance, again, that kinda, that's kind of in the middle, so to speak, of... Is thing working? In the middle here. Because people are hearing and they're amazed. Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Here's the substance, right? Where is Jesus getting this wisdom? Where is Jesus getting this power to do miracles? Right? Where is it coming from? Right? What, here's a question. What is the source of his power? Here's a question. That's, that's it. Where, where is he getting the wisdom and the power to do miracles? Because if it's just earthly, right? He's just a carpenter. He's a brother. He's a son. He's one of their, you know, he's a Nazarene. He's from our village, right? Or does he really come from God? This is, a, like, this is, again, going back to this one, it's, right, it's what's right in here. It's the substance, right? People are listening to Jesus. They like to hear Jesus. But they're not willing to dig deep into that substance, right? Really, again, really, the question is, is where is he, where, what is the source of his power, of his wisdom, of his miracles, right? Faith is the substance, right? That Jesus isn't just this earthly teacher and healer. He's not just this earthly teacher and healer. Come on, like you really have to, this is, like I said, this is the end of the line. This is the substance. This is the last stop. He is the son of God that has come to save and deliver humanity and our cosmos from sin and death, a new kingdom reality. This is, like, other than that, if, if, if you are not, like, I hate to, like, kind of put this line in the sand of, like, you know, here's, but, like, like other than that, like, you're amazed at his, he's wonderful and he has these nice teachings and great morality and he's such a great example, right? And then Jesus kind of looks back at you and says, I'm amazed at your lack of, like, it's wonderful that you're amazed by who I am, but I'm amazed that you can listen to me and watch my miracles and observe my wisdom. And then at the end of the day, just kind of look at me and be like, oh, yeah, you're just, you're just like, like a, a townsperson, a brother, a sister, a son, right? 
And this is, to me, this is the substance, right? This is what's in between there that really, again, for all of us, even us sitting in this room, and sure, I know that it, sometimes it's up here, but sometimes we have to re-wrestle that in our heads. We have to re-engage that in our heads. We have to resubmit to that in our heads. That Jesus isn't just his earthly teacher. He's not a healer. He's the son of God, right? This is what's in between. So one other kind of note in this too, because I think that this kind of um, helps, this kind of grinds against people a, a, a little bit here, is when, when Jesus, you know, when they ask about Jesus, they're saying like, who is, who is this man? You know, isn't, isn't he the carpenter? right? Now, the Greek word here, tekton, can be carpenter, right? And I think when we hear carpenter, we have a little bit of a romantic notion about that. Maybe you think about, um, <laughs> this is another great, uh, who was the guy from um, the Fixer Upper show that was like the side carpenter? Tim Allen. Tim, not Tim Allen. <laughs> but, uh, was it Harp? Clint? Clint something or another? Come on, come on. Fixer Upper, we got nothing on this? Yeah, Clint. Huh? Yeah, like, 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 yeah remember on the show, and then they they would hire like this carpenter guy, Clint something, and he's out there working in the shop, and he's making these beautiful things. Like, oh man, he's so wonderful. Look at that carpenter. And maybe we kind of have this nostalgic notion about carpenters, where like, oh, you know, he's a carpenter. He's like, did you get upset at my sermon? Ah, oh, there you go. Um, you know, it's like, oh, he's kind of a cool carpenter. You know, this word tecton, that's it. When, they, when, when they're asking about Jesus, right, the, the way that it's translated into English here is they say carpenter. Um, there's that great, that really interesting scene in The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you remember that film, that scene in The Passion of the Christ, where it's like a flashback scene where Jesus, do you remember this? And he makes a table and chairs for his mom. Anybody remember this scene in the movie, or is this just me? It is Clint Hart? Okay, good. Um, you know, and we kind of have like this carpenter but the word tecton really could mean just like a worker, a stonemason. Uh, we would translate it today probably a handyman, right? Um, so what happens is, is Jesus' humble roots as this, as a tecton, a worker, maybe a stone laborer. Maybe he does some carpentry work, right? Really what Jesus is, like if, if you were to really kind of put it in today's vernacular, it, the, the better translation is like, isn't this like our local handyman, right? And they're scandalized by this, that people can't seem to listen to a simple handyman claiming to be the son of God, right? Again, I, okay, so the joke's out, like, look at me, right? Like I'm dressed like what? A handyman, right? You might even be sitting here this morning and be like, Kind of a hard time listening to him, like with that weird hat that he's wearing, it's paint all over his clothes, stains on my shirt, right? Like he's looking like a, like, what was he doing this morning, right? Kind of part of the point was like, I would dress like a handyman. There it is, the big reveal of why Eric's dressed like this. <laughs> because even as you might be struggling listening, because I do, you know, like Ronnie, what did you say this morning? Like, like, yeah, Eric usually, like, kind of dresses nice. He's wearing, like, cut-off jean shorts. Like, what's going on? You know, we watch The Chosen, too, which we talk about that often in this church. And Jesus is always, like, he's stylish in The Chosen, right? And I think, like, man, it would be great to see him dressed as, like, kind of like a handyman, right? Like, just kind of like a normal person. And he stands up in front of all these people in the synagogue as a Nazarene, as a handyman, right? And he says, he says today the scripture of the Messiah is fulfilled in your hearing, Right? He's maybe has a, I don't know what, 
maybe John Deere wasn't around back then, but maybe he has like a, there was a plow company that he had like, you know, um, and he says, I, like, this is me. And it scandalizes the people, right? It scandalizes the people. I came across this, a couple quotes, like Dale Bruner says, listen to this, and you just need to memorize this quote. It is the glory of God to stoop. <laughs> that has wrecked me. Like, that's been like all week long. It is the glory of God to stoop. And I just kind of translated a little bit, you know, just, you know, God's magnificence is in his lowness, Right? It makes sense when Jesus says that the servant is the greatest of all, right? It is um, because when you think about that God's real magnificence, right, is in his lowness, the way that he comes to earth. Man, again, it scandalizes us. It wrecks us mentally. We're not used to a handyman standing up there and saying, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your healing, in your hearing, right? I love this, and I've used this one uh, back at, like, kind of more Christmas time. Frederick Buechner says, The incarnation is kind of a vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. He says, Until we have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it. What I mean by scandalized is, like, Like, we, it's almost unbelievable, right? That's what, like, it scandalizes your mind. It's like, wait, what? You did what, God? Until we have taken it seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken, right? And this is, this is what scandalizes the people. This is why when he's home and they look at Jesus and they say, no, no, this is, this is like the Nazarene handyman and here's his apprentices running around with him and, like, no, you're, you're, you're not that, right? And the substance is to be able to look at the handyman and say, like, you are the son of God, right? This is, this is where the rubber hits the road. Okay, so I told you I'm not here just to give practical stuff, but I have one practical application here. And I just picked this picture because it's a really nice picture of probably about a 1985. I think that's a GMC Sierra classic, but you can tell that this is a handyman working the streets of, small town USA somewhere. And here's, here's, here was an application for me. Um, we drive around and we see work trucks and we see plumbers and we see gardeners and we see handymen all around us. My neighbor's a handyman, right? And I would challenge you or at least try to put this somewhere in your brain that when you see that handyman, right? The plumber, the gardener, the painter, um, the, the fix-it man, it would simply remind you that Bruner quote, it is the glory of God to soup, that God came among us really as a simple handyman, right? That's how he came among us in this fashion. I was in my garage on Thursday, I believe. Like I said, my neighbor's a handyman and I've been thinking about this sermon all week long and it was a real realization. And again, he's like, he's like, he's like a real handyman, like not me looking like a wannabe handyman, like a Home Depot weekend warrior. He's got like the full boots. He's got the Carhartt shorts, you know, and he's, he knows what, he knows what is, but I'm sitting there thinking in my garage, um, as he's just kind of talking about whatever, I'm like, man, this is, this is what Jesus would have been like, right? Just kind of a normal tecton, right? A worker, a stonemason, maybe did some carpentry work, um, but this is what it would have been. And I was riding my bike yesterday 
And I'm riding down through uh, Corona Del Mar and I'm seeing like, you know, these little handyman trucks going around to fix people's house. It's Jesus going around to fix people's house. It's exactly what it wouldn't look like, right? And that's, that's, what, that's what scandalizes the people. Um, so anyway, practical, something to kind of think about. You see those work trucks, you see those vans. Let that remind you of, of who Jesus was, how he comes. You got the home court advantage or disadvantage. And then away. So Jesus sends away the 12. So he gets kind of rejected from his, kind of his uh, hometown. So as Jesus then goes around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He um, sends them out and gives them authority to drive out demons. He sends them out. Now, what happens in this passage is there's all sorts of references. Uh, we, in, in movies, they're called, I wish I have to, this one's for Nolan. The Easter eggs, right? There's all these little Easter eggs of like, hey, this is referring to this, this is referring to that. Um, and there's all sorts of references. And I was trying to compile, you know, some, some of these that I, I didn't pick up on at first, but um, here's a couple of, of, of what they are. And, and it really kind of frames the way of, of what Jesus is trying to, not only is he giving his disciples instructions verbally, Right? But then underneath those verbal instructions, there's all sorts of context that really shape what they're going to do. So the first one is he sends them away two by two, right? So when Jesus sends them away two by two, the kind of point here is that the disciples are just like those animals going on Noah's ark, right? That was the joke. I know, it wasn't, I know that that wasn't a clean, you know, that's the, actually the opposite. <laughs> they are not animals going onto an ark. Um, what is a two by two referring to? That's just kind of like, okay. Um, oh, a two by four. Close. Um, here's what the two by two refers to, right? And, and again, trying to, trying to pull together the commentators who have studied this, who have observed this. Why Jesus sent him out two by two? It's not just accountability. It's not just the buddy system. The two by two is the biblical law for witnesses, right? To be cho- to, to like have your words have authority, right? You have to have the second person there who is able to confirm and corroborate what you are are saying, right? This is in Numbers thirty-five. This is in Deuteronomy seven uh, seventeen six. So when they are going out and preaching, right? When they're going out and teaching and when they're spreading the word of God, he sends them out two by two. And, and the Jews would have understood this, right? When there's two people there, like this is, this is, this is authoritative, right? There's two of them here with witness speaking on behalf of Jesus, right? So he sends them out two by two. This is kind of this biblical law for witness, and then he does a bunch of interesting things here as well, too, is he gives them four items, right? He mentions these four items, uh, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt, wear sandals, but not an extra tunic, right? So he says staff, sandals, tunic, and belt. And if you go to Exodus 12, as the, as the Israelites are getting ready to leave Egypt, right, in the Exodus, these are actually the four items that, that Yahweh commands them to take, Right? Take a staff, take sandals, take a tunic, take a belt, right? So there's an Exodus reference in here. There's another Exodus. Again, the staff, whenever an Israelite would have heard that word staff, Moses, we don't think about that necessarily, but for them, Moses' staff would have been primarily 
that staff that he used as he led the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness. So take that staff with you. Um, he mentions, Jesus mentions too, like wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. And continuing on with this Exodus theme, uh, there's, there's verses in, in, I think it's in Numbers, I should have put the reference here, that, that God says, look how I've provided for you, right? Your sandals and your clothing have not worn out. So as the Israelites are traveling through those 40 years, one of the ways that God provided for them was just having clothing that didn't wear out. Um, one other thing, too, is, hey, don't take any bread, right? Don't take any bread. Remember the night before they leave, they make that unleavened bread, right? And they eat it in haste because the next day they leave. And then they get out into the wilderness. And what do they complain to Moses about? We don't have anything to eat, right? There's nothing for us to eat. And that's when God says, I will provide the bread for you, right? So we could say that part of this, this is there. There, Jesus is, I would say, he's sending them out, right? One of the things, again, maybe the Easter eggs or whatnot, the Easter eggs would have all pointed back to the Exodus, this Exodus-type fashion with all these little hints that the disciples would have picked up on. They knew that they were wandering into the wilderness. Now, here's the twist in the story. Where is the wilderness? Israel, right? Israel is now the wilderness, and the disciples are wandering into the wilderness, into Israel, with God alone as their provider and their protector. Okay. Um, I got like three short quotes and then I'm done. I just want to share these. I thought these were really helpful. Because I think that this, as they go out, it shows a real urgency and a real dependence upon God. Uh, from Jason Meyer, Jason says, the urgency and the haste of this mission have overtones of judgment. God is about to act. He's about to reveal something every bit as important as the Exodus, right? God is sending these disciples out in an Exodus-style moment. There is an act of judgment of act. And then one other thing, um, the 12 um, come humbly, so this is kind of more into the dependence piece. The 12 come humbly and must be dependent upon God for support. They are to go out as the poor to those who are poor and hungry. Weakness and poverty are effective means of proclaiming that men should repent. I love this last little section. No one will take seriously messengers who claim to bring an urgent message of life and death when it becomes evident that their first concern is to secure their own ease, right? So these disciples go out in a very urgent manner, um, as if this is a, a, a moment similar or greater than the Exodus, and they go out in a manner very dependent upon God. Um, for me, again, I, I don't know the application, again, just to kind of... This is just a challenge for, for us, for our church, those two words, I think, um, I would say my, one of my greatest struggles as a pastor is that dependence piece. Because I think as a pastor, I've done it now for 20 years. I've been a pastor for 20 years. And I've, you can become good at your job. 
and not be dependent on God. Do you know what I mean? I can skate by knowing how to prepare a sermon, knowing how to organize a church, knowing how to get people in a room, and without becoming, this is, I would say that's been my biggest struggle, probably all throughout my years. One of my biggest struggles is really coming back to a, like, like wandering, like I'm in the wilderness of like, God, if you don't show up here, right? Like I'm going to die, right? No, God, I got it. I'm, I have the charisma and I have the intelligence and I have the skill set to kind of keep things moving here. But that, I would say that that's, you know, again, for me, an application was like, man, that I would come dependent on God for all things, right? I go out as poor, right? As one who comes in weakness to proclaim, to proclaim the good news of God. All right, that's all I got for this morning. Is that good? Um, and I think that there's a question. The question at the bottom there is urgency or dependency. What word would resonate with you more, right? Like, do you feel like maybe you've gotten complacent and you're just like, oh, yeah, we, okay, it's cool. We're not, you know, or God, I really need to depend on you. One of those words. Read them from the bottom up. How do you think the disciples understood their, their mission? Uh, Molly, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago when, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus sending the pigs into the ocean and we were kind of like playing with some of those metaphors and the pigs and like, uh, you know, we, we kind of can sometimes read in all these uh, examples, but maybe the disciples just kind of thought like maybe Jesus is sick of them and sent them away two by two. Um, but, you know, did they understand maybe all those Exodus references? Are, are we reading into that? Um, if you have maybe a different thought in, in kind of the way that the disciples would have understood their mission. Uh, what about that substance, right? Jesus as the son of God. What about that substance challenges you, maybe re-challenges you? Uh, did you relate with that amazed bracketing? People being just kind of amazed at Jesus' teaching and Jesus is like, I'm really amazed at your lack of faith, right? Uh, and other than the Messiah connection, do you see any other threads in the story as we kind of continue to, to push through this gospel of Mark? So there's a couple questions, the praise, the problems, the pushback. Uh, things you agree with, things you don't agree with, questions you have. Let you get us started for a couple minutes, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Sound good? All right.